one or two snippets of episodes. I wanted to see how JT handled himself. Okay. Okay. He was all right. He was awesome. He, yeah, he you was know, all he right. did all right. Yeah, he's okay. Mm-hmm. I watched a little Wally. Okay. Okay. And then he wore his Metallica shirt. Yeah, he was awesome. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, I'm not a Metallica guy. <laughs> Don't have a Metallica shirt. Um, and then you had like a surfer. Uh, Maggie, or like a Maggie wake surfer. Ken- yeah, Maggie Kendall, the professional yeah. wake surfer. Yeah, so she must have been like the special of the week or something that was when i was looking at it or whatever so yeah mm-hmm. she's pretty good too yeah yeah awesome go. wow those are that's a, those are some three solid episodes so you know what else i'm really disappointed in though you guys um so i i got an email from you this morning so when i'm emailing back and forth who am i talking to both of us oh well because i'm it's like me. hey guys it's and always i don't me. know who because both of your signatures are there. Mm-hmm. but i got an email from back pocket podcast this morning that this friday is it this Saturday or Friday? This Friday. This Friday. Is the live year-end show. Correct. Oh, yeah. And you're you're going to share who the guest of the year is. And well, I don't mm. feel like I have enough time to win that. Correct. By this the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we, – if we got to get – well, here's the problem. Here, so, there's a big issue. Yeah, here. so, so – there, here's what's going on. So we're not. I mean, you should have told me that before I agreed to do it on this night that oh, it was going to be compressed yeah. against yep. Friday. Well, yeah, we're doing the live show um, on this Friday, and yeah. it's coming out before your podcast is even released. Oh, so I'll yeah. be a candidate for next year's. No, so we're <laughs> we're not announcing. I don't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're not announcing guest of the year until the end of the actual year. Gotcha. Which is something that I messed up when I was running the description of the page, which I still haven't changed. Gotcha. So I should change that. But you know, you're coming to the, on Friday, right? I mean, you're gonna, you're I gonna can't be make there it on Friday. Oh. You know, you guys, if you were following your alma mater closely, you'd know that we're gonna we're hosting a whole bunch of stuff this weekend. So volleyball made postseason NCAA's. Right. Women's soccer made postseason NCAA's. So we're hosting Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. So I'm sorry. I can't make it. Right. Oh. And St. Thomas plays Bethel for the, St. Thomas for, for the season Bethel. under. Yeah. And you know what? We win. We share the conference title. Right. Um, it's a big game. Mm-hmm. It's a really big game. And that, if, so that doesn't mean we're necessarily in the playoffs, but we get a, we get a, we have a good chance at an at-large because we're my, the Mayak's good conference. I think so. You know, I think if we win uh, on Saturday, we're, we're still in that bubble, but right. we're, we're in a pretty good spot. Okay, I, I think in that cool. Bubble. Right, that was kind of our uh, our freshman year when we got in. We played Wartburg uh, down in Iowa. We went eight mm-hmm. and two, lost to St. John's and Bethel, and snuck in because the caliber of uh, of uh, did St. John's opponents. and Bethel also get in? No, we beat no uh, Bethel lost to Augsburg in the final game of the year oh, in boy. like triple overtime or wow. something crazy. Wow. Yeah, in St. John's. Yeah, made. it's a good conference. It's a good conference. Was it, well, was a good conference. Yeah. It, you know what? It still is. Um, I mean, we're still in it for two more years. Right? Sure. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, it, but you know what? It's, a, it, it's one of the neatest conferences in the country, I think. Um, you know, one of the questions we got from student athletes right after it was announced that we'd been removed from the conference was, hey, is travel going to look different? And the answer is absolutely. No matter what conference anybody joins across the country, they don't have the luxury of an away game being four blocks away or eight blocks away. Um, so that's that's a neat thing, and I was a student athlete in this conference, and it means a lot to me. But um, so it's I mean it's a it's a competitive conference uh, in most sports, you know, in a lot of sports, and so it'll it's it's kind of sad to see the way that it's playing out. Hey, but that I think you 
just like you, I think you've said this multiple times, but like what an opportunity that we yeah. have now. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I want to dive into um, almost right away. You want to unpack it? I want to I unpack it or I kind of like saying dive in. Oh, dive in. Because you, you used to unpack it. I still do. You still do. We okay. still very much so do. Yeah. But we're trying to evolve into uh, diving in because yeah. well, we've unpacked well, so well, many things. Well, well, what do you? What would you like to do? Dive in or unpack? Boy, I don't know. Let's dive in. Okay. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Yeah. Okay. So, 95, graduated, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Ding. Played <laughs> baseball at St. Thomas. Yes, that's right. Ding. Okay. Next thing, uh, kinesiology? Here, no. Uh, U of M. U of M. Yep. PhD okay. in kinesiology and sport administration. Okay. Next thing that I know about you, uh, Cal Berkeley. Uh, oh, it's one I, of the stops. Okay. One of the stops. Then you got. Um, it, should we go in order? Yeah. What's the what's the engineer order? I don't know the okay. order, but I prefer um, to go in order. I do. U of M. But right? I want to see if you guys. Yeah. Can get the well, order. I mean, U of M for grad school. Um, but that's not the order. Dang yeah. it. Okay. Um. I just know Cal Berkeley's in there. That's which in there. I want to talk about berserkly at yeah. some point, and yeah. then. Uh, so I started at Ohio and then Penn State. Ohio so. State. Oh, dang it, Ohio State. The State's Ohio State. And the we can Ohio talk about State. that one too. Yeah, the Ohio State University for three years, and then back to the U of M. For a good stint, I was there for a while, and then uh, spent a couple years at Berkeley, and then uh, the last four plus at Penn State before coming back to St. Thomas. Okay, and then the profession in what you were doing i know it was you know athletic direct or being like a dir- athletic director and whatnot but yeah. um how did you kind of get into all of that yeah you know it's it's interesting so my my dad was a college coach he he coached cross country and track at the university of wisconsin lacrosse um real successful coach actually if, if you talk about any school um or program that should have been booted for having been too successful it should have been his cross-country program he he coached there for 28 years and 26 of those 28 years finished in the top 10 nationally wow and won like 23 conference championships so he's in the u.s track and field and cross-country hall of fame as as a coach which is a pretty cool thing that is so neat Um, yeah real quick about track and field i am like that would be the sport that i would love to coach Uh, i played i ran track in uh in high school and the way you look at track is kind of like a hybrid of baseball but with more variance because you have to pl- like you're a manager, so you plug and place oh, people right. yeah. in certain spots, and yeah. you have to be a strategist to because they only can compete in so many events. Yeah. So you got your long jumpers that are also your 200 uh, meter sure. runners. Just kind of the whole thing yeah. with track and field. Yeah, uh, it fires me up, and I'd be a, I'd be a solid track. Well, you know what's coach. interesting is we're and, and we'll get back to this. Um, but as we talk with our track coaches right now about building the possibility of a team for the summit league and Division One. You talk about whether or not you build your team to win a conference championship or compete for a conference championship or score points nationally. And what does that look like from a national standpoint? And there's probably at our level two different strategies. Mm-hmm. You'd like to do both. And some programs can do both, the Texas A&Ms of the world and the you know, Oregons of the world or, or whatever and Ar- Arkansas of the world. But um, not everybody can do that. And so, you know, you kind of build your team in a couple of, couple of different ways. Right. The reason Andrew said that he'd be a good track and field coach is because you read Shoe Dog. <laughs> he's got all the confidence in the Bill world Knight. Bill, Bill Knight. Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah, everybody knows. So I don't where were we? We were talking uh U of M. You know, so, we were at Lacrosse. No, we were at Lacrosse, but the, how did you fall into oh, or yeah, get yeah, into yeah, yeah, yeah. athletic? So directing? my dad was a coach and um you know the 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 um opportunity to be raised in that environment was pretty cool as a kid. And you're around a lot of really neat people and they go on and do some pretty cool things and you go to go to college and you're a student athlete and again you kind of see the way that athletics has an impact on people and that always kind of resonated so I thought I'd be in athletics a little um a little bit 
right out of right out of college, I coached high school football for a year and did a little work in Rochester, Minnesota. But I but I, in the back of my mind, I knew I wanted to be in college athletics. And there was a guy there by the name of Wes Emmert, who uh, had worked at Michigan State and Boston College. And he gave me a book. He's you know he had an inscription in it, kind of wrote um, a little note to me. The book was called College Sports Inc., written by Murray Sperber. Murray Sperber was a, a English professor at the time at Indiana, uh, University of Indiana, and he really wrote around um, the spectacle and the business of college athletics and how, at that time, this was '84 that it was it was uh, published. It had gotten grown into too big of a business, and how it really had a small impact on student athletes' lives and a big impact on revenue and finances and economics of colleges. And one step further. I think he actually, it was either that or Beer and Circus, which is his next book, um, suggested that college athletics was to blame for drinking and partying and fraternities, et cetera. And so I, it made me angry, <laughs> mm-hmm. quite frankly, because I didn't, I didn't agree with much of what he had written. Um, and so Wes Emmert challenged me to get into college athletics and make a difference. And so he encouraged me to take a look at several different graduate programs across the country. So I applied to uh, Ohio State, Ohio University, UMass. Uh, North Carolina, Springfield College in Massachusetts, and UW-Lacrosse, um, and ultimately ended up at, at Ohio State, and kind of the rest is history. But, um, you know, really it was a fire, I think, that was lit uh, as a result of somebody writing something that I didn't believe in and me wanting to get in and kind of try to make a difference for all the right reasons, I, I would like to think. What was the thing that kind of stung you the most where you're like, I, I want to prove uh, this author wrong? Well, or what was a, I guess, what was a, uh, what would you call it, like a, a stipulation? Yeah, you know, um, I happen to think that experience in college athletics actually leads to development opportunities because of experience, not despite experience in college athletics. And so, you know, you guys, as an example, came to campus and you were looking for opportunities to develop as people and as students and emotionally and spiritually and professionally and personally and athletically and academically or whatever. And some students find that through social clubs and student government or fraternities in the Greek system, whatever. And, and we found it through intercollegiate athletics. And I think that we all left here better than we came here because of athletics. Right. Um, and I've heard you talk uh, about your experience with Coach Crusoe and kind of what that meant to you and, and kind of how you developed into the person you are today, whether it's as a professional or a person or, or whatever. Um, I think I'm probably a better husband and a better father because of the people that I've been around in this business. Um, so when somebody calls that into question and when somebody says that's not true, that's not real, and I know that it is, that's what kind of lights the fire to want to get involved and do something about it. That's awesome. So yeah. you're sitting there as a Buckeye now, yeah, ready to take action. What was kind of that first job or first? Uh... Well, so, yeah, the, the, um, my first experience, it's actually kind of funny. So um, at that level, They've got graduate assistantships, and yeah. these GAs um, at the time at Ohio State paid for your school and paid you a small stipend on a monthly basis. So I made $800 a month before taxes, and that's what I lived on and was able to at that time, mm-hmm. a long time ago. Um, and so I was, I was looking to get this GA and didn't have one, didn't have one, got into Ohio State, didn't really want to pay tuition and room and board and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember um, getting a call from – uh, a couple of different opportunities in the athletic department to be a GA. One was in the ice rink. Another was in the ticket office, which happened to be tickets and events and championship support 
ticket sales and operations, et cetera. Um, and there was one in, in rec sports. And so I was wor- working in Rochester at the time. That I got the call that night. I got in my car, drove through the night to Columbus, Ohio, showed up and met with each of them that day to try to secure a GA because I knew how important it was for me to be able to fund grad school. Um, ultimately ended up in the ticket office. So uh, worked in ticketing and sales and events and championships for um, about two years as, as a GA, graduated, and then was offered a full-time job kind of doing the same thing um, in the ticket office and did that for another year. You know, it, it, it's funny, a funny story. When I, um, when I first got there, I was answering phones and, you know, filing files and whatever. And at the time, tickets were not automated. It was in like the Dewey Decimal System card catalog deal, and so you know your ticket was listed on a card, and we'd put it in the system and or in the card catalog, and somebody else's name and their seat location was listed on an index card, and we put it in this. So I was filing that kind of stuff, and it's it's what you have to do to, I guess, get your tuition paid for. And we had a gentleman, we had a gentleman who took early disability retirement. I still remember his name, Tom Patton, a super guy, and he took early retirement. And this was about two months into the first year that I was there. I was there, and I went to my boss at the time, Rochelle Simonson, associate AD. Um, and I said, "Hey, look, Rochelle, I don't care if I get a title, I don't care if I get any more money. I just want his responsibilities. Give me a chance to do his job." And and I think that sounded like a pretty good proposition to her because she got somebody to do the work and didn't have to pay him, and didn't have to give him the title, or whatever. So I I took over his responsibilities at the time, and I remember one of the very first things we had our hockey team for the longest time had not been very successful. Uh, Ohio State hockey has not had a strong history of success prior to that year. This was 1997-98. Okay. And um, they went on this unbelievable unbeaten streak throughout the course of the year. Hugo Boisvert that year was on their team. He was a Hobie Baker candidate. And um, a couple ties, but a lot of wins. And so lo and behold, towards the end of the season, they're – they're in position to actually qualify not only for postseason but but possibly host. And the last series of the year was either against Lake Superior State in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, or Notre Dame, and I can't remember which because we played the next, the first week in the playoffs. And so we've got to back up, rewind a little, park that for a second. Uh, I showed up my first game. It's a it's an ice rink of about fourteen hundred seats, and there's about two hundred fifty people there. Mm. Right? Ohio State hockey was not a big thing, and come from Minnesota, that was surprising to me. You're basically um, at Northwestern at an 11 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Football game. Football game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't is, say that. And that, is say a, that, yeah. that is in no respect, disrespect to Ryan Field yeah, on, no. at 11 a.m. <laughs> That's right. My um, dad played football at thank Northwestern. You. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> Go um, Cats. And, and so it's actually a phenomenal campus. If, and if you haven't seen their new athletic facility oh, it's on the lake. right on the lake. It's, it's so un- cool. unbelievable. Um, so anyway, there's hardly anybody there. And so I'm thinking to myself, this, is, this isn't what I – thought division one hockey was going to be so now fast forward unpark what we had and um everybody's calling wanting tickets and we're selling tickets selling tickets selling tickets and again remember just two weeks earlier we only had about 250 people in the rink and so um 1400 seat ice arena most of it's uh general mission seating i turned to my buddy tom mcginnis who's now senior associate ad over at the u and i said hey tom i made a mistake i screwed up so what you do i'm like i oversold the arena i didn't I didn't keep track of what I was selling. I sold 2,000 tickets, and we got 1,400 seats. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to see what happens. So the night of the game, everybody's kind of coming in, and the fire marshal shows up, and he's like, hey, Phil, you, you got to get a couple hundred people out of here. Otherwise, I'm shutting it down. 
And so the band leaves, the spirit squad leaves. I'm at the scores table doing like 18 different things because we just we had to get people out of the rink. Otherwise, they were going to shut it down. Um, and so the, that wasn't actually the biggest mistake that I made. The biggest mistake that I made was not putting in a fail safe because the next week I did the same thing. No way. In the first round of the playoffs. Um, but that was my kind of entree into intercollegiate athletics was in 1997-98 at Ohio State. Um, so you're jumping in at an operations level, and I'm curious from your mindset at that point because when, when people think you're working in sports, they're probably thinking coaching. They're probably thinking engaging with the student athletes. Um, your first three, four years were in, in situations where you weren't engaging with any of the student athletes. Yeah. You're strictly business side. Yeah. And as much as you want to say you're in sports, you're really just making sure that this whole operation of um, getting people into an entertainment facility is going smoothly. W- were you looking at it in a way of like, I, this is a stepping stone or was it more so this is what I want to be doing. I want to, I want to be able to provide in a way that I can allow fans to enjoy their experience. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a couple things there. Um, the first is I, I wanted to get my degree paid for. <laughs> and so that was kind of a way to do it. And ultimately in doing so, I realized that I was, I had a knack for the business piece of what was kind of happening in sports. And, you know, I, I think I approached it a little bit differently than some in that I've got um, a true Division three spirit around the student-athlete and participation, but with a business mind and how you apply kind of revenue generation and business aspects to college athletics, college sports, Inc., I suppose, right? And at the time, not a lot of people were doing that. And so, for instance, we were the first school to go online with ticket sales and online with merchandise. We, uh, we in Illinois, believe it or not, were the first schools to, to do that back in 1998. Um, I did not know at the time that I wanted to be an athletic director or I wanted to be in this thing forever or what vertical I wanted to climb in, in the business, whether it was compliance or sales or whatever. Um, I do remember a moment, uh, it was the third year that I was there. I I had my degree and I was working in the office one day, shared an office with a gentleman and who he's just a super, super guy. Um, he's got three kids. And he was in a similar position to, to what I was in. And I kept thinking to myself, is this what I want to be doing in 10 or 15 years? Or do I want to do something else in 10 or 15 years in college athletics? And so that is the day that I decided to pursue a PhD to try to redirect and differentiate myself in what is a pretty saturated marketplace. Um, everybody's got a master's degree in sport administration in that business. Everybody's got an internship in sport marketing or ticket sales or whatever. Um, and so how do you kind of make it, make yourself look a little bit different? And that was the day I remember it very vividly today. That was the day I decided to kind of try to change that direction a little bit because I wanted to be connected to student athletes and I wanted to make a contribution, uh, to that. So that's when I started looking into grad school. Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. So then going from there at Ohio state, did you, what was the, what was the, I guess the next step? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I, I ended up uh, pursuing graduate uh, uh, doctoral program at the U. Nice. Um, and uh, Mary Jo Kane was my was assigned as my advisor. She is the director, just retired, as the director of the Tucker Center uh, Research uh, for Girls and Women in Sport. Um, really a great person, and and you know, interestingly, she is one of the most internationally known women to advocate for women. In sport and so absolutely a feminist in in the purest sense of it and she and I had some of our best 
debates in her office and in class around what it takes to be successful in, in sports. She is a staunch Notre Dame football fan, grew up in Champaign, Illinois. Um, and she taught me to think critically, uh, to take any situation and try to see every single angle of a particular situation quickly and break it down and try to make decisions in the, with the most critical eye. And the way that I describe it to people is, if you guys ever do puzzles, and you're sitting there staring at a puzzle on this side of the table forever and ever and ever, and you're, you're like, the, you got 8,700 pieces left to put put in the puzzle. Trying to build a sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they all look exactly the same. And you literally get up and walk to the other side of the table, and all of a sudden there's like 18 pieces that jump out, out at you, and you know exactly where they go. Mm-hmm. Because you're critically looking at that puzzle a little bit differently. And then if you go to the other side or the other side, all of a sudden three or four more pieces kind of jump out at you right away. And that's the way that I describe how she taught me to think. Um, and so anyway, that, that, was, um, that was the next step, pursuing a PhD at the University of Minnesota. It was about a three-and-a-half-year deal. Um, taught every single sport administration class in the undergraduate level during that, those years, so sport finance, sport marketing, operational leadership in sport, um, event management, create a um, sport finance class. So it was a it was a fun three and a half years. Although I was away from student athletes and sports, so it was kind of this investment. Hope you know, fingers crossed, that you can get back into it. It's almost like college athletics has got the secret password, and as long as you know the secret password, you can bounce from school to school. But if you get out of it, they might change the password on you, and so you got somebody's got to tell it to you before you can get back in. So I was afraid they might change the password on me before I got back in in college athletics and. Um, fortunately, after three and a half years, Joel Maturi, who was the athletic director at Minnesota at the time, hired me uh, to help with their football stadium project. And so for the next, uh, that was 2004. So for the next four and a half years, I was the lead on TCF Bank Stadium Project at the U. So that included, That's amazing. included uh, legislative lobbying. So we spent three uh, legislative sessions at the Capitol, uh, lobbying for state support. Ultimately, they supported about 150, 155 million of the stadium construction. Um, the Twins and Vikings were there with us at the time, and so got to know Lester Bagley well and Dave St. Peter well and some of the other guys that were doing exactly the same thing we were and trying to make a compelling case for why investment in sports matters to community. Mm-hmm. Um, also managed, um, helped manage the fundraising piece of it. We raised about $92 million. Uh, to support the stadium, all of the corporate sponsorship, and then was the lead liaison from a construction and design standpoint. And so that, you know, that stadium, it's it's fun for me to see it on Saturday on TV or in person because, you know, there was a lot that went into it developing in what it is today. That's you're, amazing. You're part of the team of gathering the, the Swiss Army knife of people that can yeah. uh, make that happen. Yeah, it was it was. It was a lot of, I don't ever want to do it again, sure. but it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was. So anyway, I did that for several years at the U., um, well, congratulations on actually completing it, though. Like that's, that's a pretty cool deal, isn't and it? Yeah. Now that you think about it, today in 2019, I yeah, mean, we just finished a week of that's that stadium having probably one of its best moments of all it's time, celebrating its 10 year anniversary this year um, from so being cool. open. And and you know, I don't know that I had seen as much energy in that stadium since opening night when we played Air Force. Um, you know, sold out Air Force crowd. It was super cool. Um, and this last weekend, there was that same kind of, if not even better energy uh, right. than 
than there was with their incredible sure. energy yeah. more so than when the vikes played there and had two yeah. full seasons there yeah. I, I went to a few games at tcf uh when the vikings were playing there and i mean it was awesome like, granted uh, but it was a college stadium with nfl players yeah. there and that was a whole unique situation yeah yeah um i'm curious so you went to st thomas then you were down in rochester for a little bit went to ohio state came back here um during that time what was it like tapping into like different cultural areas because yeah. minnesota is very coming from guys he's from denver i'm from chicago yeah and i was born in Greeley. okay oh nice yeah colorado right yeah. up from denver yeah okay yeah. so you, you so yeah, the yeah. smell doesn't does the smell it's of still Greeley get, it's still right here like in the back you know yeah right for the yeah. for the people who don't know Greeley smells like cow poop mm. it's just like infamous for that yeah so you've gotten used cow to town, it yeah there we're you good. go yeah we're good is that south um north, north. Mm. it's where you unc when people in Colorado say, I'm going to UNC, it's not North Carolina. It's uh, Northern, Northern Colorado. Colorado. Northern yeah. Colorado. Gotcha. So you already had kind of like an um, an outside perspective coming into the state because this state is definitely rooted with a lot of people that have been here for a while. Yeah. Um, and now you're back here, but you, you, you bounced around to Penn State and to Cal after that. Was that something that you were like, I need to get out of the state to, to realize how other – universities are operating and how other communities are operating or did it just so happen you were ready for something yeah an opportunity presented itself without that thought you know i've always um actually been intrigued by moving around a little bit and trying to experience different leadership models different cultures if you will i remember one of the first weeks i was in columbus uh one of the one of the women in the office said hey we're we're getting together this weekend for a minnesota picnic do you want to join us like what's a minnesota picnic she goes, you know, when like everybody brings a dish to pass or whatever, I'm like, that's not a Minnesota picnic. That's just a picnic. <laughs> <laughs> but they called it the Minnesota picnic. Um, you know what? Uh, when I moved to Berkeley from Minnesota, I was with the Alumni Association, actually. So at, when I got out of athletics at the U, um, I moved into the president and CEO role of the Alumni Association at the University of Minnesota for a couple of years. And and it was a great opportunity to kind of lead um, – learn some things and but I knew I wanted to get back into athletics and uh the athletic director at Berkeley at the time Sandy Barber um and I had known each other for a while and we had tried to work together a few times and this time it actually worked out and so she asked um again a lot of stories here guys but she asked um if I'd come out and, and help uh, with some things at Cal. And so it was, you know, I tell you what, moving to Northern California is an interesting deal. If you guys, you guys ever been? I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it is a beautiful, beautiful part of the country, part of the world. Um, very different than Minnesota. Uh, my wife had never lived outside of the state of Minnesota. Wow. So it was her first time moving outside of the state. Um, when did you meet was, your wife along this, this journey that we've unpacked? We so met, um, uh, at the U, actually. So I, so she and I have two different stories of how we met. Um, but it's at, it, So we met in 2003, I think, um, at a John Mayer concert. No at, way. At the U. Wow. And so th- that's my story. Um, and, and her story is that we met at the bar before the John Mayer concert. She's more honest than I am. It sounds oh, okay. way cooler to say oh, you yeah. met at the John Mayer concert than it does at Sally's before the John Mayer concert. Oh, but it's at Sally's? That's yeah, yeah it's at Sally's. Yeah. So, so she was with, and it's old Sally's, not new Sally's. Okay. Right? What was old Sally's like? Well, it, I, I don't know what new Sally's is like, so it's hard Oh, you haven't me. been back? Haven't been back. Okay. So I, it's hard for me to say. Um, she was with. So now you rewind back to when I was in Rochester. There's a guy by the name of Ryan Bringman that I used to work out with a little bit. He went to St. John's. And mm. um, I know. Mm. still He's still a good guy. And uh, 
Mm. And so <laughs> she was with him, and they claim they weren't on a date, but whatever. Um, oh. She was with him. And so he comes up at sa- to me at Sally's and says, hey, what's going on? Whatever. So we catch up a little bit, and I kind of catch Danny out of the corner of my eye. And then, um, coincidentally, they were sitting just a couple rows in front of us at the concert. And so it all kind of worked out. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Good. Well executed um, on your end. It actually, I think it was. Probably the best recruiting job I've ever done in my life was. Yeah. Guys only have one good recruiting job, and it's yeah, right. their wife. Is out kicking your coverage with, yeah. And I <laughs> yep. did. Um, Phenomenal. Fantastically. So anyway, uh, Berkeley was was awesome. And, and you know, we, we moved there to get back into college athletics, and we thought that Cal was going to be a great place. Um, didn't know that if it'd be forever, you know, you go into these thinking these things, it might be, it might not be. Um, we lived in Walnut Creek, which is about 15 miles directly east of Berkeley. So if you know the area at all, Berkeley is kind of in the Oakland Hills, just off the bay. And you see these beautiful views of this sweeping views of the bay. And then kind of through a tunnel over the mountain in the valley is where there's most of that, uh, a lot of that area kind of lives where Walnut Creek, um, shot in the dark. Is that near Akalani's at all? So that's a high school. Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. So that high school is um, one of the high schools in a four kind of city area, mm-hmm. which is um, good for you, Arinda, Moraga, Lafayette, and Walnut Creek. Yeah. Okay. Lafayette is where my family's from. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Beautiful area. Yes. Um, also, probably a pretty wealthy family to be. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do well. Yeah. Yeah. Bags. Absolute Lafayette, bags. Lafayette is is a very nice, very yeah. nice area. Um. So anyway, it was a fantastic experience, and we fell in love ultimately with the area. And so you've got Tahoe and Napa and Sonoma and Monterey and Yosemite and San Francisco, and you know everything is within three hours. Um, so and and then Cal itself, it was it, there's a lot of um, some dysfunction there at the time. My dad was um, a uh, a GA. He oh, got his so he played at Northwestern and yep. then left to go to Cal. Yeah. And got his GA and was a linebackers coach there. And who was the head coach? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm okay. have to ask him. Yeah. He'll, he'll actually give us a five-star review. And yeah, then okay. in the five-star review, he'll if answer we've the question. It. If we've earned okay. it. Yeah, I got you. And I feel like other people should also do the same thing. Sure. But anyways, uh, I disregard that. Yeah. My, my dad calls Cal berserkly because yeah. of just how – crazy he, he like he doesn't really tell me a lot of stories about yeah. cal but he, it, he says pretty much the same thing you're saying so you know I'll, I'll say this it it definitely is different um one of the best experiences i've ever had right and so it's it's a pretty campus but it's like a gritty campus at the same time um you know i actually think getting in getting into cal and getting through Cal and, and graduating is a, is there's a badge of honor there, right? Just For because sure. of how hard you have to work to get through that kind of a that kind of a school, um, and so absolutely, there's there's some craziness in it, and it's you know it's it's a different crazy when you're at Minnesota and a different crazy when you're at Penn State. Um, you know the financial situation in the state is difficult, and that kind of lends itself to some financial challenges there. I got there just after they had done substantial renovations on the football stadium to seismically retrofit it as the Hayward Fault runs right through the middle of the, of the football stadium. And so it had been kind of over time eroded a little bit, earthquake after earthquake after earthquake. So they spent several hundred million dollars just um, addressing some of the earthquake-proofness of, if that's a word, of the stadium. Um, and then all of a sudden 
the real estate bubble burst in 2008. And so all of the debt that they had borrowed and the revenue models that they had built to pay that back were in question. <clears throat> and so at the time when we kind of had to address that a little bit, um, and it, and it's all worked out and it's a beautiful, beautiful facility, but it was definitely an interesting, interesting Oh, I can time. imagine. Yeah. With a student body probably protesting, rioting and you know what? And that's part of that drives you crazy. And part of it makes it the super cool experience. So right? unique. And yeah, it is. And, and so, you know, you look back on your time there and I felt like I had two different lives just because, um, while we only lived 15 miles away, it was about an hour commute. And so you just didn't spend a lot of time at kind of home. And we're here. You can blend the two there. It was definitely either one or the other. Um, so I felt like I had like family, personal life and work life. And um, the work life piece of it was challenging and fun all at the same time, just in a really weird way. Our personal life, we had a blast. We, we th Like I said, we fell in love with everything. Yeah, mm -hmm. sounds amazing out yeah. there. Yeah, it was awesome. Now, cost of living's high and traffic is crazy, and you just kind of put up with it um, <clears throat> for access to everything and the weather and everything else that they have there. So then you you mentioned Sarah, I forget her last name, but uh, the woman who you, you worked with at Cal. Yeah, Sandy Barber. So, yep. Oh, Sandy, Sandy sorry. Barber. Yep. Yep. Now, that is the AD of Penn State. She is now, yeah. And so I assume that's how you that's got to right. Penn State. That's right. So my wife grew up in uh, Peterson, Minnesota, okay. which is a very small town in southeastern Minnesota um, and I say I, I reference that because there's no cell service there at all still still wow. and so you go visit her parents with no cell service so um, we're at Cal we're on a summer vacation visiting her family and they've got Wi-Fi right so Sandy can send me an email but I can't get a call so she sends me an email and says hey I need to talk to you um, is this a, your John Wooden story pretty much you know uh, the, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. The John Wood Minnesota, Minnesota story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'm not going to compare myself to John Wood. Okay, right. So, I'll, but I'll yeah, go there. yeah, you can go there. <laughs> so, um, I said, yeah, give me 20 minutes. I need to drive to where I have cell service. So I call her, and uh, this is June or something. She says, hey, I I think I'm going to take the Penn State AD job. I'm like, that's awesome, Sandy. Good for you. And she goes, but I want you to come with me. So then I had to go back and convince my wife to leave this place that we had fallen in love with. Um, you ever been to State College, Pennsylvania? Central PA. It's a college yeah. town, right? It's a college it's town in the, in the middle of the state. And so I had to convince her that it was a good thing to be leaving Berkeley, Bay Area, Northern California for Central Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, and she was on board. It was great. And, and so uh, we, made, we made the move. Probably two and a half months later, we were in, we were in State College. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, and and so Sandy's still there. She's the vice president, director of athletics yeah. at Penn State, and they're they're doing some good things. Yeah. And that was you know a really interesting time. It was a few years after the Sandusky the stuff had, had kind of come yeah. out. Um, that 2011 was when the Jerry Sandusky stuff kind of evolved and and um, you know became news. And uh, we got there in 14, so it was about three years later, and really a brand building deal. That mm -hmm. I, I felt at the time the brand had been eroded. Um, nationally more than locally, but definitely had some challenges there. Right. What was your role with uh, with Penn State? So I was the deputy athletic director and chief operating officer okay. for the athletic department wow. and um, oversaw, you know, I'd say um, for the most part, day-to-day -day operations of internal and external operations for the athletic department, oversaw several sports, including football. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was, a again, four and a half years it was quite a ride. My family's Christmases the last five years have been spent at the Pinstripe Bowl in New York, 
um, Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl in uh, in Scottsdale, um, Jacksonville at the Gator Bowl, which is now the Taxlayer Bowl, and then last, this last year the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. That's so That's, cool. Which is fun, right? Yeah. It's been a fun and James game. Franklin's the man. He's pr- Talk he's about changing the culture yeah. at Penn State. Yeah, he's a good dude. You know, what, what I'll say about James is he is as intense as any coach I've worked with. Um, he is as smart uh, about football and, and life as any coach I've ever worked with. Cares really deeply about the guys, which is pretty cool. Just fiercely um, competitive, obviously. But he's like a regular guy too, and and um, and not that others aren't. But I I do think sometimes the celebrity of being a head football coach gets to people. I, how, how can it not? You think about that a little bit. And he's a great dad. He's a great husband. And he's the kind of guy that actually will have. He'll listen to you reasonably um, to whatever rationale you might have about whatever particular conversation. You're having, and I think that makes him a great coach because he too tries to see all different points of view on right. something. And I can't say that about every other coach in every other sport that I've ever worked with before. That's awesome. Yeah. So now you're home, the homecoming tour. This is pretty much what this last. I don't know how long can, we've been going for, but this has been this, this year because I just yeah, had yeah. an aha moment. With, okay. With uh, with you, Phil. So you were at TC. You're at U of M when TCF uh, was built. You were part of the team of. Uh, getting that whole construction together. Yep. Then you go to Cal, and you're you're there when the, you're the economy bursts, mm-hmm. and you're in northern Cal- you're in California, which is I mean very catastrophic for California in yeah. general. And then you go to Penn State, and you're with the rebuilding of a culture after all the stuff that happened. And now you come to St. Thomas, where we're going from D three to D one. I mean, you're probably the best man for this job. Yeah. Is, is, you're battle tested. Is that correct? <laughs> um, I'd like I'd like to think that uh, I'm in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, first of all, I'll say that we're just super excited to be home. And, you know, for us for the last several years, kind of bouncing around, it's been fun to come back and visit. But, uh, you know, there's a sense for being home that's just different. And so that's that's a lot of fun. And when, when President Sullivan called me last summer, and when Steve was kind of retiring and she said, Hey, it's towards the end of the summer in 18. And she said, Hey, Steve's retiring. Would you be interested? I frankly, I said, I said, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate it. Uh, you know, St. Thomas might be in our future someday, but I don't think it's right now. Um, I had interviewed for a couple of different a- athletic director jobs. Um, one was really public. The others weren't. And, um, felt like there might be some other opportunities that we'd want to pursue before maybe somebody coming back to St. Thomas and we spent (coughs) Julie was great she she said well you know let's keep talking and and let's just see where things go yeah sure okay and Julie doesn't (coughs) give up no she doesn't and 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 I'm glad she didn't right and so Danny and I really peeled back a lot of stuff that we we it was hard like being honest with yourself is really hard to do because you may not like the answer, right? If you're really, truly, deep down honest with yourself. So you start asking yourself, okay, why am I in athletics? Like the prestige is pretty cool. I like going to the Rose Bowl. And I like going to the Fiesta Bowl and being part of the New Year's Six. And I like going to the the possibility of going to the Final Four and the Frozen Four and the whatever. But that's not why I do it, right? Or is it why I do it? And if the answer is yes, that's why I do it. Maybe I don't feel good about myself, right? Because I'm doing it for the prestige. Um but ultimately, we got to a place where, like, you know, that isn't – if somebody took the Rose Bowl away from us, would we still do what we do? Yes, we still would, right? So, okay, we can 
<laughs> um, uh, uh, income, right? Do we do this for the pay? Because a Division One athletic director makes a different salary than a Division Three athletic director, and the athletic director at a Power Five school makes a different kind of a salary than one does at a mid-major school. And ultimately, again, thankfully, we realize that we're not doing it for the. We want to make a good living, and we've worked hard to get to where we are. But that's not why we do what we do. So we peeled back several of these things, and ultimately felt really good about the fact that St. Thomas might be the right place for us um, right now, not knowing that what has happened in the last nine months was going to happen. Specifically, we knew there was tension. We knew that some of the president's um, conversations may lead to uh, us no longer being in the conference. We, you know, we kind of knew that going into it. Did not think it happened the way it did or when it did or yeah. that we'd be in this situation today. And, um, you know, I, and, and now looking back on it, I'm excited about what's next. Yeah, and just going in on that, when you mentioned, like, tension and all that, was there, I mean, in your perspective, and uh, you can take this however you want, but was there some sort of, like, a tipping point, or was there some sort of, like, feel amongst the other universities that once this happened or how they felt this way about something, that they're like, okay, let's actually go forward with yeah. kicking St. Thomas out? N not, not that I'm aware of. So, from what I understand, this has been something that's been building for a couple of years. Okay. Um, you know, if, again, if you look at the success of the University of St. Thomas athletically, <clears throat> in the last 15 years, we've won about 40% of all the conference championships, slightly more than that. In the last five, we've won more conference championships than all of the other schools combined. And so that, that piece, if you just kind of break it out, um, is I think one data point. Another data point is that we've won 12 consecutive all sports awards for both on the both men's and, and women's side. And so again, that's another data point. Um, you know, some have pointed, I think, to enrollment. I don't, I don't believe that that actually has an impact on athletic success. Stanford does fine. Um, Northwestern does fine. Duke. USC, Duke, yeah. Vanderbilt do fine. I, I don't think Villanova. that. Villanova. Yeah, and, and so I don't, I don't think that has as much of an impact as some others might. Um, so I don't, I'm not aware of a, you know, kind of an episodic event that happened that pointed them to say, okay, that's it. This is, we're done. I, from, there was a crescendo and it kind of built, um, over time. Um, you know, one of the first things that I did when I started was went to meet with, cause I'd heard some of this going on. And so I met, went to meet with the commissioner of the conference, um, just to get to know him a little bit. Dan McCain, super person. And he said, Hey, Hey Phil, I think you guys got a problem. I, there's, some momentum and inertia behind kicking St. Thomas out, out of the conference. Um, you know, you got to keep your eye on that and kind of address it. And that was the first time that I felt like it was really real that quickly. Wow. Yeah. How long ago was that? That was a few days into the job for me. Um, oh, so that you was started yeah. in January this, this year. January yep, 19th. January of 19. Um, Dang, dude. Yep. So the in fact, you show one, up on the first day yeah, and the, right, yeah, the, yeah. the commissioner's like, hey, man. Uh. Yeah, yeah, watch your back. Um, <laughs> how about this? One year ago today is uh, today's the anniversary of the press conference when I came to campus and oh, it was announced. Oh, wow. It also happens to be the anniversary of Joe Maurer's press conference mm, um, when he announced his retirement. Yeah. And look at you now. <laughs> we now, share, you're yeah, we your, share now you have the, the coolest press conference yeah, here. Exactly, you set up your exactly. own press conference. Joe's not on the podcast. He's not, going, yet. Not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Ben Lieber said he needs to come on the show. That'd be fantastic. And we were like, yeah. you're absolutely right, yeah. Ben. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Do you know Joe by um, chance? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> we, can, we can work with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So that's, 
that's actually insane. So you're three days into your uh, your Ten- tenure, ten- your tenure yeah. at St. Thomas, and yeah. you get this news. And then, I mean, since then, it's been just nothing but change. So yeah, you know, um, there's kind of the old adage that uh, you know change has got to be the new normal. I think St. Thomas has embraced that. When you rewind, St. Thomas, all male school going to co-ed adding a Minneapolis campus and the business school the way that they did and a law school and engineering and now the College of Health. Uh, This is a school that finds, uh, the Doherty Family College, right? This is a school that finds a way to reinvent itself over and over and over again and stay relevant in a really competitive, saturated marketplace. And that old adage that kind of says, what got you here to today isn't going to be what gets you to where you need to be tomorrow definitely embraces change, right? If you don't constantly change, you're going to be irrelevant. Um, and so for me, that's what's been that's what's been kind of fun is trying to think about what a new St. Thomas can look like. Um, a St. Thomas that continues to be relevant and continues to value a lot of the same things that convinced you guys to come here and that convinced me to come here 20-some years ago and other guys to come here 40 years ago. How do you keep those values but apply them in a modern, contemporary way? And that's been that's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And th- now we're sitting here in a position, and we were able to hear you speak t- to the football team or kind of the football alumni at the golf outing, sure, which was really cool. Uh, yeah, new athletic director. I was just curious from the standpoint, and that at that time we didn't know where we were going to end up. Right, we still don't necessarily have a definite answer. Right, but there's definitely a high inclination with the Summit League and yeah. uh, and that very and various other avenues with the football. Um, mm-hmm. and hockey pro- uh, programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really cool to hear you and Coach Crusoe kind of on the same wavelength. Um, come Being part of Coach Crusoe's program for four years, he's a unique man with an awesome passion, mm-hmm. and it's just like he, 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 if you don't vibe with that connection right away, there's definitely going to be tension there. Yeah. And I was like just stoked as an alumni to hear yeah. you come in and speak and be like, all right, this is, this is going to be a good spot for not only the football program, but all of the athletics that have already seen the success, and you kind of had that same position to carry that forward. You know, one of the things that I think he and I share is a value for people who want to pursue excellence and who really um, prioritize the things that need to be prioritized to be excellent. And whatever excellence is in that particular thing, right? Um, and so, and then we also coincidentally share some other values that just just help kind of family values and some other other things too um you know you think about what what our football program and what he's been able to do for this university over the last decade um and and frankly i think that athletics more broadly can do that for this university at the division one level over the next decade or two or three or four or five you know and, and i frankly i think that when we look back on this moment in time um in 10, 15, or 20 years, it'll be a watershed moment for the university, you know, in terms of redirecting its course. Uh, and so that's, that's, it's a pretty exciting time. And how about the fact that you are going to be able to say that you played for a school that had Division One football? Oh, right. Of course. Does that make you a Division One athlete? I it think, is. I think it does. Yeah. That's where, a debate. That's where debatable. Happens. It is absolutely debatable. You can go that route. I'm gonna, probably going to take the route of I was part of a, an athletic 
program that forced a division out of there to go Division One. Yeah. I think that's even cooler than saying you sure. went D one. Yeah, it's the only it's the only school that that's happened to. Yeah, Correct. yeah, yeah. And I yeah, think that's yeah, pretty yeah. sweet. And then I'm also just gonna say that I am a D one athlete yeah. because of that. That you <laughs> currently are a D one. Current well, or that you were. I were. I, I, I you, was you, a yeah, D one athlete. Yeah, okay, yeah. I feel like I'm definitely. I look almost more athletic now because <laughs> because of this change. It was funny. My so my sister Darby. I'm sure she's listening. You know, she's thinking of coming to St. Thomas. Okay. But she had no idea, like, when I was going to school, I'm six years older than her. Yeah. Uh, she didn't know St. Thomas wasn't D1. And she had, like, started to go through some research, and she texted me, and she's like, Declan, why? Like, I did not realize St. Thomas was D3. Like, I thought you played D1 football this whole time. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I played That's D3 funny. football up at That's St. Thomas, funny, yeah. but now we're D1. So now I feel yeah. like she's, like, super inclined to come cool. here. Cool. Is yeah. she an athlete? Uh, no, she's not an athlete. Okay. But we take those two. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah she, she, she'll be happy. Yeah. She'll be happy <laughs> okay, to be here. Okay, good. Um, so, kind of speaking more to uh, the D one, I remember you know having conversations with our friends and you know all all the other alumni here in the rumors about going D one, and one of the things that I was super curious about is you know it's it's easy for everyone to be like oh like let's make the jump let's go to D one, but we don't really think about that as a whole brand of ath- athletics, right? You have volunteer coaches um, across every single sport that almost inherently become full-time because mm-hmm. you're making the jump from division three to the divi- to division one. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to ask kind of the simple question of like, how do you become D one? Yeah. That's not a simple question. It's not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a it's simple a, in terms yeah, of it's, words. It's few words. Yeah. But it's not a simple question. Yeah. <laughs> you see how um, I built yeah, it no, up? I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Um, so, you know, it's never been done before. And so there's not a blueprint. There's not a roadmap to kind of follow to do this. I happen to think that institutionally we're built in such a way that we look like a lot of other D1 schools. And so when you look at some of our aspirational or just general peers, I think in the marketplace, we're going to we're going to mention schools like Marquette and Drake and Denver. Um, can we go uh, as far as say like Notre Dame wh- and Villanova? Uh, you can say Villanova. Duke. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, San Diego. You know, there's some others yeah, that, I, that, that I definitely think are in that in that area. And some are more aspirational peers than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a peer group nonetheless. Um, the difference between us and them is athletics, right? They all have Division One athletics. And we were operating with Division Three athletics. In fact, if you look at the top 25 Catholic private Catholic schools in the country, all of them but St. Thomas are Division One athletics. Oh. <clears throat> and so I think as an institution, we're already built that way um, to be able to handle Division One athletics. Uh, when you look at some of the other variables, so we're the 22nd largest state in the country, but only one of six that has one or fewer Division One athletic programs in the state, mm-hmm. uh, 15th largest media market and the 15th largest metropolitan area in the country. Um, I love you know, that fifteenth largest media market. Right, that's, that's yeah, where that's we are, and you us. are adding to that. Next year will yep. be fourteen because of what you all are doing. Yep. How's that? We're awesome. trending up right. to the right. I, yeah. I like up that. Up to yeah. the right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we like to. Um, Andrew was just at a wedding, uh, you know, outside of Minnesota and S- South Carolina, and he comes back. He goes, "Dude, I told everyone we were the top uh, Twin Cities podcast," and I was like, "You know, that sounds pretty much. Uh, right. That sounds right. Yeah, to why me. not? Yeah, it sounds legit. It sounds legit. Well, if they're listening, hello, South Carolina. Exactly." Um but, but I think there are a lot of reasons why it makes sense. Uh, and, and, you know, if Wisconsin uh, can support four Division One schools and Iowa can support four and each Dakota, Dakota can support two, and, they, and they're all thriving in their own way, why can't we as a state support two? Um, 
And so there are a lot of reasons why it makes some sense. Now, to actually do it is is challenging. Um, you know, I don't know that fans or alumni, um, and this is okay, they shouldn't have to think about it, but necessarily appreciate what a huge thing this is. For any school to go from Division three to Division one. number one for the, the NCAA to consider it is a huge step. And then to actually do it is... Um, it's a it's a huge thing to do financially, competitively, uh, from a facility standpoint, from a staffing standpoint, right? And so, um, you know, it's something that we've got to be very planful and deliberate about. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, I, as I kind of spoke to some of the other groups, after after I spoke with your group at, at the football golf outing, I started to say, hey, look, if I showed up today and said that Kevin Warren called, the new commissioner of the Big Ten, yep. or Jim Delaney called and said, hey, Phil, look, we've been studying St. Thomas. We think you're, you're a good fit in the Big Ten. We want to invite you to join the Big Ten. Half of our alumni would think that that's awesome, and half of our alumni would think that we're out of our minds. And in the same breath, if Dan McCain called and said, hey, we want to invite you back to the MIAC, um, half of our alumni would think that's the right thing to do, and half of our alumni would think that we're knuckleheads, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the foundation of that is no matter what we do, not everybody is going to agree. It's impossible to please everybody. And difficult decisions never come with consensus, right? We're just not going to find consensus there. However, um, if you think about Wisconsin in the early 90s, the Badgers, and what they were in college athletics and what they are today, they are where they are today because their fans and their alumni, whether they agreed with the decision to hire Donna Shalala or Pat Richter as the AD or Barry Alvarez as the football coach, they all supported it, and they got behind it, and there was not friction. And if we can keep friction out of our kind of alumni and out of our vernacular. Friction out of your foundation. Out of our foundation. I like it. I like it. Yeah. He's in construction. That, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, if we can keep the friction out of the foundation, all right, we got a chance, right? If we're going to see friction, then I don't know if we got a chance. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think that's how we're going to have to do it. Uh, start with just support, uh, with ambassadorship. That, that's a, an advocacy for what we're doing. And then it's going to have to look like financial support, either through buying tickets or sponsorship or making gifts or whatever, because we need to invest in the enterprise, right? And invest to make it work. Um, and slowly, more and more over time, you're, you, I think we're going to be a competitive team in the Summit League. And, and if you're winning in the Summit League, you got a chance nationally who knows right right well and, and speaking right to that you know we've had uh coach john tower on this podcast who actually well, we always ask like a challenge question like who do you think we should have on the podcast yeah. and he said you yeah and uh, anyway speaking so I have of johnny to thank for this yeah. yes yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> and uh so i kind of want to have you put some pressure on him yeah right so when we do go in the summit league uh you know d1 basketball jt is going to be the coach i mean how many years are you going to give him to to get us a, a, a tournament berth yeah it, it, actually i just he and i were just talking i said i said two um okay i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> um you know what so you look at a couple of different things uh when you evaluate coaches um well you look at a lot of things right and so you're looking at a lot of different variables that lead to this equation and the ultimate um you know factor of success the two big huge trend lines that you're looking at is competitive success and the student athlete experience 
right? And there's a whole bunch of other stuff, but those are the two that kind of stand out to you from a trend line standpoint. And so if you're trending up competitively and you're trending up with student athlete experience, we're good. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. If you're plateaued or trending down in one, but trending up in the other, we're good. We can work with that. If we're trending down in both, we got issues. Makes sense, right? I mean, that's yeah, pretty intuitive. Um, the one piece that actually plays a huge role in both of those is culture. And so the one, one thing that we've talked with our coaches a lot about is how do we maintain great culture in this transition time? So we've got four years of provisional status, which means you, you don't qualify for NCAA tournament for four years. How do you keep culture? Four years, you know, we've got some sports like men's basketball and a lot of sports that are accustomed to winning a lot. Women's softball. I mean, softball. Um, I mean, how about this? This fall, the eight sports that we've had compete this fall, if football wins this weekend, five of them will have finished first in the conference or at least tied for a oh. share of the conference championship. Two of them second. Mm -hmm. So seven of them of the eight would have finished either first or second. It's a lot of success. So, right. Mm -hmm. um, we may not experience that same level of success for the first couple of years in the Summit League, right? And so how do we keep good culture? How do we keep a positive attitude? How do we keep po coaches motivated? So Coach Tower and I talk a lot about that. Um, I think the leash is going to be longer on winning and losing so long as culture and student-athlete experience stays strong because then I've got you, I think you've got an opportunity to build sustainable success over time. If we sacrifice some things on the short end, sacrifice culture and character and win in a certain way quickly, it's not going to be sustainable, and it might not even be real. Um, and so that, again, that leash will be a little bit longer, I think, on the winning and losing side than it will be on the culture and character and student athlete experience side of those. If, if I'm only looking at those two big trend lines, right. Does that, does that make, yeah, that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, and you know what, uh, you know, you, you see in college football right now, uh, Florida state goes in another direction with their head coaching position and, um, Arkansas goes in another direction with their head coaching position just in the last couple of weeks. Both of them had, hadn't even finished their second season yet. Right. And I don't know how you build culture and how you build a foundation for sustainable success in less than two years. And so, you know, I think we've got to take a long lens view of this thing. Mm -hmm. um, I also tend to think that if we're really going to see the type of support we want to see, fan support, tickets, attendance, that kind of stuff, it's not about winning and losing. Now, competitiveness matters, right? We saw that. We see it over and over again. But I think the reason Penn State was able to sustain themselves after the Sandusky piece was because it was about a cultural experience at football games. It was a social experience at football games. And you see that replicated over and over again in places like Chicago Cubs, Green Bay Packers, Boston Red Sox. Even when they don't have winning seasons, they still sell out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's because you even it's go about to like the, the Big experience. Ten in general. I mean, the Iowa's, the the Wisconsin Madison. Yep. Um, even we're we're shitting on a little bit with Northwestern, but they yeah. have a great culture and people buy in yeah. and stuff like that. And that's something that the Midwest has. Versus you, you see in like the South, like Alabama, people are complaining that they're leaving at the second half because yeah. they they have expected yeah. things that yeah. they're supposed to hand. Well, you way. know the the Big Ten is. The campuses are phenomenal. The football experience is phenomenal. It's so different than um, so many other conferences across the country. The Big Ten's got a really strong brand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one thing that I think we can control and need to continue to keep our eye on is our brand. And what does a brand mean? 
to you and to you and to you and in your mind's eye when you see and think St. Thomas, what does it mean? Um, that's where we have to win. We've got to win on the brand side. Absolutely. And I think that's cool too, you know, the you being 15 minutes away yeah. on the other side of the, the river here. Like that is such a, a such a different feel of a school, such yeah. a, I mean, it's, it's the only D1 uh, athletics program to, and now, now sure. we're kind of entering that pond, but yep. like we're, we're what, how many undergrad students go here? 6,300, 63, yeah. 66, whatever yeah. it is. But like, there's a brand that's yeah. going to be around that, that already is around that, that yeah. now is almost competing. Uh, and I just start thinking of like how, how you recruit uh, in a different way there and how you leverage kind of the smaller feel, but at the same time doing so much yeah, more. You know, one of the things that I think we do as well as anybody, and I've been at a lot of places, is experiential learning. Um, you know, when you think about your opportunities uh, to get an internship and network with our alumni base and travel, study abroad, et cetera, those experiential learning opportunities at St. Thomas um, are as good as anywhere. And so how do we continue to advance and sell experiential learning opportunities? Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's part of what, and then the liberal arts approach to it, I think that's part of what <coughs> kind of separates us from some of these things. With experiential learning, you've, we've had some awesome learning experience for the football team going to Target Field, now going to Allianz, two really cool uh, uh, off-campus uh, stadiums. Um, and we, you know, we don't ask a lot of tough questions, but I think the toughest question that the back pocket ever asked was podcast number six in 2017. Uh, we sat in front of, uh, president, Dr. Julie Sullivan, mm-hmm. and she wrote us a, a student letter to the whole campus saying we are, um, building a new, we're getting new turf, turf in, in O'Shaughnessy stadium. Kay. Well, we were like in O'Shaughnessy stadium, we're getting a dome. It's, oh. it's going inside something. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so with this tough question, yeah. I'm curious if there is a, a foresight of a new stadium because of the, the, the idea of selling tickets yeah. um, to help the athletic program uh, continue yeah. to, to find success. Yeah. Is, is that something that's being considered? Yeah. You know, um, good question. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so as we're considering the transition to division one, uh, we've got to look at those facilities for all of our sports. And I think that we're in a pretty good place with some, and there are others that we have to address, whether it's a student-athlete amenity or a fan amenity or capacity or the ability to sell a premium seat uh, so we can generate the revenues to invest back into student-athlete experiences and conditions for success. Those are things we've got to look at across all of our facilities. I'd like to demonstrate first that we can sell out O'Shaughnessy Stadium before we need to do something else. And, and so as an example, this last weekend, we, we played Gustavus, a really good Gustavus team. Weather wasn't great, um, but we didn't sell out O'Shaughnessy Stadium. And, and so when, when I see us kind of scaring a sellout, uh, then you start to think about expansion, right? So, so not point. that we don't plan for it first, but let's scare it. That's a good point. Over and over and over again. Because I don't think we've really sold out many games during our courses of no, our unless and, it's and Tommy so, Johnny yeah, yeah right exactly and so you know <laughs> again there's you don't build church for Easter Sunday you, you, you build it for every Sunday right and I think all of us have been places where a smaller venue packed is actually a better experience than a larger venue half empty or half full whatever mm. way you want to look at it and so um, let's create an experience and an atmosphere and an environment that is just second to none in FCS football and then think about what that might look like. Now, that said, there is no seating capacity requirement. Some people think there might be, but there's not. 
um, you know, I happen to think that we can do some really neat things with that facility to make it intimate and loud and hard to play in and grow that capacity if we need to over time um, incrementally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to I want to fill it first. OK, I like that. Yeah. yeah. In terms of just like simple structure of this entire campus, is there any need for expansion um, with adding D- Division One athletics? From a campus, from a campus perspective, like, is there a need for like a uh, an athletic dedicated building, like a right, weight room or right, right, a right. facility? Yeah, there, you know, there are definitely some. Again, what I'd call student athlete amenities that we need to take a look at. So, for instance, if we're going to be competitive in a recruiting environment, um, we need to have probably some sort of a nutrition or fueling station right. for our student athletes. Uh, whether that's you know the Gatorades and Muscle Milks and fuel uh, fuel replacements, meal replacements, kind of um, post workout stuff that's something we're going to need to do we need to have a more robust academic support uh center mm-hmm. uh, i was a tutor the, at right. the mark yeah so well you can come back and help too if uh, i need can, to yeah, okay, anything thanks. for yeah, this yeah, program yeah, i appreciate that <laughs> um but you know those are a couple a couple of examples uh you know our uh ability to work with our athletes year-round is different at the division one level than it is at the division three level and whether that's in the weight room or some other kind of a training facility um, that probably is going to have to look a little bit different. We probably will need more athletic trainers than we have today because mm-hmm. um, they're going to have to travel more often and more frequently than, than they do now. And so what does that training space look like? Um, so without a doubt, there's gonna, we're going to have to address some of those student-athlete amenities in order to be able to service our student-athletes but also recruit student-athletes because that's what they're looking at when, when they go visit North Dakota State and South Dakota State and Denver and, and all the other schools in the Summit League and the Missouri Valley Conference and every other school that we'll be competing against. Awesome. And that mean, that makes sense. And I, we appreciate you entertaining our hardball questions of going from D3 to D1. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we ask you a lot of tough ones. I know you're sweating over there. I've had harder questions. Well, no, 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 no. Hey, don't sell us that's short. A good, that's a good quote. <laughs> we might not ask the hardest questions, but we know who always brings the heat. Is Ty Webb over here? Ty, yeah, Ty Webb. Ty Webb's got it. Right. Ty, would you like to ask a question? Yeah, I, I would. So, um, I wanted to know with the recent uh, ruling by the NCAA that student athletes are able to uh, like make money, monetize their likeness. How? Do, what sort of implications does that have for a smaller school? And I don't know if it's different being D three versus now becoming D one, but nonetheless, you'll still be on the smaller end of yeah. of D one schools. So, what sort of implications does that have for a small school in yeah. particular? So that's an Awesome question. Um, yeah, that's an awesome. He, he always, does, does, this. He always yeah, does this. Deserves a fist bump. Um, you know, and but I think there's a lot there. I don't think it's a simple answer. So um, I think there are two. There are two things here. One is what you continue to hear is pay for play, and the other is name, image, and likeness. Um, do you guys hear the radiators banging? Yeah, that's because awesome. that air is turning on. Yeah, that's that's, that's St. Thomas. Yeah, right that's, that's horrible awesome. for yeah. podcasting. I actually think it's cool. It's yeah. the character Bring of some the building. The exactly. character of the building. The, building, yeah. the yeah. little space yeah. we're in. Exactly. What is this? This is called the leather room. The leather room. The leather room. Right. Yeah. Um, because, so, hold on, because you didn't want to be the 120th person to sit on our couch on the third floor of our house. I, didn't, what I don't gives, know that man? I'd be able to get up from that spot that's been worn in <laughs> to that couch. It's so it's true. Sinkhole. How did it's you know? Sinkhole. That's like the most savvy I just, thing I just we've did. ever, I guess, would have like ever come up with. You know, I... Also was one or two years out of college at one point in my life, and I remember what my couch looked like um, that had been sat in more than 120 times mm-hmm. in a year, and 
just thinking through that made me think I didn't want to sit in that particular couch. So I appreciate you guys coming to campus. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Your worded email was also awesome. You're like, <laughs> I, I like to challenge you to think outside yes, the box <laughs> at, a, at a separate location. We're like, all right, it's all Which was a kind way of saying I'm not sitting I'm on not sitting that couch. couch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think you've got pay for play and name, image, and likeness. Pay for play is should we pay student athletes more than they're already being paid to be student athletes at a university to be a student athlete. And so I believe they're already being compensated through. And this is, this is another hour or two hour conversation. If you ever want to have, you know, have that conversation, but it is through their scholarship and access to the highest medical professionals that we can find and strength conditioning professionals we can find and academic tutors and travel, et cetera. So I do think that there's, there's that, should we pay them more than that to do what they're doing? That's pay for play. Name, image, and likeness, which is what's being debated right now, and the NCAA recently suggested that all three divisions should rewrite legislation to allow name, image, and likeness to occur for student-athletes. Is uh, a student-athlete being able to use their persona, their celebrity, to earn income? And that's not just on athletics. So, for instance, if, um, as a student-athlete, you are a phenomenal guitarist, um, could you, as, that, as a guitarist, go on and earn income endorsement income, whatever, as a guitarist? The answer is no. Um, if you remember, there's a, there was a skier at the University of Colorado many, many years ago. You might not remember. Bloom was his last name. Okay. Um, he was a punt returner, wide receiver for Col the Buffaloes. And he also was, um, he was a skier, right, a uh, snowboarder skier. And he wanted to earn endorsement money for skiing. And the NCAA says, no, you can't do that because you're a student athlete. That's the same for the trick shot UCF kicker, right? It probably is. Yeah, Very Pro similar story. And so this name, image, and likeness piece is all around that. Can we somehow create legislation that allows student athletes to use their likeness, whether as an athlete or otherwise, to earn additional revenue? And I fully support that. However, what I, what I think is challenging is how do you do it in a way that does not um, – erode the integrity of recruiting that does not erode the integrity of um, uh, the transfer policies and so in a true open market what is your celebrity worth not in Billy Bob's barbecue shop paying you $250,000 to endorse their barbecue shop simply because they're also an alum of your school right sure and, and so I think that's where the challenge is how do we create a fair high integrity model that allows student athletes to truly in the open market pursue NIL income that does not actually impact some of the other stuff that's really important um, to intercollegiate athletics. Because at the end of the day, we do recruit, we don't employ, we recruit student athletes. Right. Um, so I, I actually think it's a really interesting uh, debate. I believe that we'll find a way to get that done. Um, I don't know that it's going to impact St. Thomas as much as it's going to impact some of the larger universities. To um, be 14th lar largest media state. Yes, to be so, 14th largest. You're I right. Mean, media market. Media market. Media, the Twin Cities, yeah. Um, now, where I think it could have an effect is if you start to see big corporations or even local companies redirect sponsorship dollars from an athletic department to an endorsement of a student athlete, that athletic department starts to generate less revenue, right? And so now you may see fewer dollars in an athletic department to run the enterprise because the car dealership isn't going to have more money 
they're going to take what they have and kind of allocate it differently. So you may see um, some of those larger athletic departments having to do more with less as a result of this. Uh, where you could see that in a really big way trickling down is if that happens substantially at the NCAA level, let's say through the March Madness stuff, and they have less money coming in generated through March Madness that then goes to support all of the other sports at the Divisions 1, 2, and 3 levels. What is, I, who knows what that looks like? Um, but I think it's a really fascinating time in intercollegiate athletics because we're challenging the definition of a student athlete. And I think that's the right thing. As we talked about evolution before, that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like the NCAA is starting to take action with the times too. They're embracing change, whether it's slow or not, they're definitely, yeah. they're moving now finally. And you're, you're in like the twofold. You got this yeah. massive change in your, in your backyard. Yeah. And then with the, the whole thing with uh, the NCAA. Yeah. That's well, I think one of the biggest challenges, and this may have pushed a little bit, is when, if you think about, you know, California passing a law and Minnesota passing a law and Florida passing a law and Georgia passing a law, if they're not all exactly the same, who has an advantage? Who has a disadvantage? Who can recruit differently to that than some other state can? And all of a sudden, you have, um, there's the parity doesn't exist and the model isn't the same state to state. And what does that do in a capital market, right? What does that do in a marketplace where um, historically, everybody's played by the same rules. If you're not playing by the same rules, then what does that do to college athletics? Again, that's part of why many, many, many years ago, um, baseball, as an example, created the players' union because they wanted everybody to have to play by the same rules, every team to have to play by the same rules, and it creates as much parity as you can in the league. Gotcha. And that's an ebb and flow and trial and error process trying to figure that out. Yeah. And we have found um, our – I'm trying to transition to the average quality. You had it. You were, that was so good. Yeah. You had it. I'll, I'll finish it for you. Wait, you what like, was awesome was you didn't transition. You just said, hey, I'm trying to transition to the Irish quality. Is that what you said? Average quality. Average quality. Yeah. Average quality. Yeah, because that's why I looked my co-host. I, could, I couldn't do it, so I'm just going to say I want to do it. I want <laughs> to do it. Yeah. That's when you pick up and just be like, yeah, the, the, the ebb and flows of the NCAA is like the ebbs and flows of the back pocket. And okay. the things that we've done this whole year. Yeah. I mean, we've had all kinds of successes and failures that we're going to be talking about or that we talked about on our live show on Friday. That okay. went really well. That, that was a success. We crushed, which was nuts. Now, yeah. it, I'm sorry that you couldn't be there, but Famous Dave was there yeah, out I'm of all so, people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I couldn't be there either, but, you know, we've got some other – we had some other duties that called. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyways, nonetheless, it's an average quality. Now, uh, an average quality, we love to say, is something that you're good at, something that you're not so good at. At the end of the day, you're average. But it's really something that you care about, but you're just not quite the best at yet. So what would your average quality be? Personally? Correct. That I want to get better at? Yes. Holy smokes. It's putting me on the spot now. And this comes from uh, Coach K. He uh, would sit in defensive meetings, and the, on, on Tuesday when we would walk in defensive meetings, he'd hand out the player sheet, and he'd be like, O-line, pretty good. Quarterback, wildly average running back average and then he'd go through the whole list and we're like all right that is beautifully well said we're a pair of wildly average guys and yeah. that's been the tagline of our whole podcast for yeah. now three years is yeah, yeah, ordinary yeah. average guys so um i i believe pretty strongly that all of us need to have ways to uh release whatever's going on in our lives and so for instance with our coaches i asked them to put their i'm getting into your answer 
um, to put their annual goals into four buckets. One is performance-based, culture-based, uh, professional development, and then personal release, right? I want to know that we're all doing something at the end of the day uh, to take what could be anxiety and pressure and stress and releasing it. Because if you let it build and build and build and build, um, I don't think anybody's at their best self when that happens, right? And so what's your release? Um, I like to play the piano and the guitar. Uh, and so I would say that I am less than wildly average on the guitar. Would love to be wildly phenomenal on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every now, I'd say probably twice a week, I grab the guitar or sit down on the piano and just kind of pound away. Um, Have you mastered Wonderwall or The Scientist? No, no, no and no. Oh, um, oh, you know the first Wonderwall. the first song the first song that I that I played on the guitar and I still play it all the time. Hootie and the Blowfish, Lara Cry. There and you I go. just I mean I go to town on that. That ages Hootie. me a little blow. That ages me a little bit, right? Ages me a little bit. Um, but I've got a list of you know I'll show you my stuff afterwards that I you know I'll just sit down and kind of hammer it out and you know what I love to do is just take a song that's not necessarily an acoustic song and try to play it. Mm. And I'm not very good at just it. Just by like listening yeah. and coming up with the a little bit. There's, a, there's a great website, ultimateguitar.com. Oh, look up the chords and just let it just yeah, let it go. Um, I've got an eight-year-old daughter who loves to sing along, and so mm-hmm. it's it's pretty fun. Um, That's so awesome. lately, it's been th- like True Colors from uh, what, what's that movie that True Colors was in? Justin uh, Timberlake and and uh, Anna Kendrick. Uh, Trolls. 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 Yeah, oh, trolls. Okay. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Instant classic. Now, remember, I've got an eight-year-old that I'm talking about here now. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's, that trolls. is... <laughs> trolls. A staple. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That is... Uh, that's where I, I'd say I'm your probably less quality. than... Yeah, no, it's your average, average quality because you're trying to get better at it yeah, every single day. Every single, well, almost every single day. All right, yeah. so this is a crazy, crazy, crazy full circle moment for the back pocket. So the very first podcast guest we had this year was TJ Lavin. Okay. TJ Lavin is the host of MTV's The Challenge, and his average quality was playing guitar. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And he I knows he how to play Wonderwall. Does he? And he played it on the podcast no for way. us. That's he, awesome. He had a guitar ready. Yeah. So it's, I, it's I don't too wanna, bad you guys don't have a guitar. Know, we, were, like, yeah, we were hoping Ty was going to pull out of his yeah, yeah, We were really I'd hoping. Play, <laughs> I'd play Hootie and the Blowfish for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What's your favorite song to play on piano? Um, You know, again, remember, I've got an eight-year-old daughter okay um so right now she really likes uh memories oh um yeah right is and that from so, life of pets uh no it's not it's not but yeah she really <laughs> she really likes memories and um that's a that's a you know it's a good band too mm-hmm. so okay love yeah. that yeah yeah um well, okay. I think, is this room closing up here yeah are we supposed to be out here at six i don't know we're supposed to be out of here at five thirty. they have a meeting at six. Oh no okay so we'll probably wrap it up here with uh two final questions yeah uh, actually, three. We're going to make it quick. Okay. Uh, what's in your back pocket? Because that's a staple of ours. Uh, when pressure becomes stress and anxiety is rising, like right now, what's in your back <laughs> pocket to overcome these situations? Boy. Um, this is a deeper question. Yeah. Can't it, be answered yeah, quick. It, it is. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, I, I've got this theory that everybody kind of relies on their comfort zone when they're under pressure. And, you know, some people's comfort zones is the budget guy or the compliance person or whatever. 
and I am a brand guy, right? And so when my back's against the wall, I always think about kind of what that means from a brand standpoint. Okay. Um, does that answer? Does that answer? Absolutely. The question? Yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah, very yeah, well yeah, done with yeah. the, the short amount of time we yeah, have left. Yeah. The next one is a challenge question. So we'll kick off season four potentially with this guest. We we live on the the shoulders of every guest. We we walk down the circle or the the train rather because it's a it's a progression. Yeah. Um, of this challenge question. Who do you think would be a great fit for the back pocket to come on the show and share a conversation with a couple wildly average guys like yeah, ourselves? Right. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one and think through a little bit as okay. long as you're willing to expand your horizons a little bit. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll give you guys a couple of good ones to challenge you with. That would be awesome. But let me think through it. Much appreciated. Yeah. Okay. And then speaking of uh, what we learned today. So I would, I want to ask kind of a sub question real quick. You know, we're really good at breaking news on this podcast. Yeah. Are we allowed to break any news of where St. Thomas football or hockey is going to be well, playing? Well, I'll say that um, we are in conversations with and would pursue membership in the Pioneer Football League. Ooh. Uh, okay. You know, if, if and when the NCAA does make that make that decision. Um, you know, on the hockey side, there, there's less clarity with, in what's going on with, with hockey. Um you know, on the women's side, there's a lot of stability with the women's WCHA. Um, that that seems to be, um, you know, very, very stable in the most competitive conference in the country, uh, lo- more local. Um, on the men's side, there, I, I think that there's a little bit of turbulence in, in what's happening with some of the leagues in men's hockey. So we've got to, I think we've got to let that play out a little bit. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, I think that's a wrap for us, right? We got to, um, actually, we know. What'd you learn today? What'd Final you, question. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, you guys. I, you know what? Um, what time did you wake up this morning? What time did I wake up this morning? Yeah. You'd probably don't want to know. Are you a 4.30 guy? Yeah. yeah I got up at 4.15 this morning. 4.15? Yeah, I got up at 5 a.m. Did you? I gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got I gotcha. Me. Let me ask you, what do you do in November for? What am I doing it yeah. for? Just to look elite and accomplish anything that I put my mind to. That's an awesome answer. <laughs> that's an awesome Is it true? Yeah, Phil, okay. I'm undefeated in versus every single day. Every single day I wake up, I it's it. it's impossible to lose when you've worked six weeks for this bad boy. Six weeks? Oh yeah, I so started it's not November. Well, uh, it's it is November. Fall. It's like Mo Fall. No, no, no. It's No Shave October to build move- momentum got for you. November. Got you. Got yeah. You. Okay. So I mean, you're you're looking at a guy who's got a lot of momentum right now, yeah. and he's converting on I a feel, high level. I feel good for you. That was the first thing good. you said to me, which yeah. is like. Awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I love like, it. Nice mustache. Yeah, I'm like, like my it. name's yeah. Declan. <laughs> <laughs> and no woman will ever tell you. I don't know if you've ever had a mustache before, but I've learned that no woman will ever tell you that your mustache looks good. But every really? dude in the bar, every will come dude, every dude at the bar will call you and go most, out of your way. Most guys think they look silly with a mustache and they don't have the guts to do it, to mm-hmm. pull it off. But once you do, you look like a stud. You stud. Oh, yeah, absolute you stud. stud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you woke up at 415 yes, and sir. now it is um, six o'clock. What did you learn today? You know what? I, I met with our... Uh, basketball team today and um i learned that those guys are incredibly motivated for this season they start this weekend in washington walla walla washington um and they're they're hungry to get after the season i'm excited for them awesome yeah that is that is phenomenal here i'm excited for st thomas basketball i'm super appreciative that you are our final guest this year in 2019 we have dominated the sandbox of the Twin Cities with our final guest. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Roll Toms. Appreciate it.